Chapter 2 Walking Alone I arrived in Rome, ready to walk, and carrying what I believed to be winter essentials. Sleeping bag, tent, fleece sweater, thermal tights, hat, gloves, one change of socks, shirt, and underwear, and basic toiletries. I also carried a detailed road map of central Italy and one of the Mediterranean area. I would buy other maps along the way. The Vatican, final destination of the way of the heart, would be my starting point. It too was a sacred site, a holy place, imbued with the hopes, dreams, and faith of fellow pilgrims. To me, this was an energy that was real, and I wanted to carry that energy with me and to have it sustain me along the way of the soul to Jerusalem. I spent that first evening in my hotel room, obsessively, obsessively unpacking and repacking my backpack. Without food or water, my pack weighed about 17 kilograms. I had never carried that much weight before and worried how my body would respond. My physical preparations complete, I now turned inwards to emotionally and mentally prepare for the journey ahead. I lit a small candle and sat cross-legged on my bed, my breathing the only sound in the dark room. It took a long time for my body to relax, and even longer for my mind to stop racing. Thank you for bringing me here, I whispered. Thank you for the opportunity to use my life in this way. Help me to stay open. Help me to surrender and trust. With these, I know I can make it to Jerusalem. Now show me the way. On a warm and sunny Roman afternoon, I took my first steps to Jerusalem. It was November 21, 2001. My map indicated that the Via Flaminia following the Tiberi River was the main road out of the city. The road led into the heartland of Italy, stretching over the Apennine Mountains to the coastal city of Rimini. I would later learn that the Via Flaminia was the ancient road that carried pilgrims to and from Rome. This route was laden with history, and without knowing it or planning it, my steps would lead me through the towns and the villages that made up this time-worn path. I walked slowly, feeling the weight of my backpack straining my knees and ankles. My destination was a campsite about 10 kilometers away on the outskirts of the city. I resisted the temptation to check into a hostel because I wanted to directly face my deepest fear, that of being attacked, of being raped and even killed. I was a woman walking alone on the open road and easy prey for any passing car. No one, me included, knew my exact route. No one was waiting for me at the end of the day or calling to make sure that I arrived safely. If I disappeared, no one would know. I camped that night, alone in my dark tent, without incident. When I awakened the next morning, it was to find the site being boarded up for the season that very day. Had I arrived one day later, the site would have been closed. One day earlier, I would not have witnessed this amazing coincidence. I understood profoundly then that I was not alone. 
My way was being facilitated by an invisible hand, and all I needed to do was walk. My plan was to go northwards towards Venice, and then down the other side of the Adriatic Sea, and follow the Mediterranean coast towards Jerusalem. Those first few days were difficult. This wasn't like walking the Camino with beautifully marked trails. I was on fast, busy roads with little or no shoulder. I walked facing traffic and felt the wind and the exhaust in my face all day. I couldn't find a natural rhythm and wasted a great deal of energy watching oncoming cars and trucks. People honked and angrily gestured for me to get off the road. I felt drained by the end of each day. Conditions improved when I found the quieter country roads. There, in the foothills of Mont Sabini, I began to relax. Orchards, vibrant with fall colors, extended as far as the eye could see. People worked the fields, harvesting the remains of the season, balancing precariously on tall ladders to hand-pick olives off the branches. I breathed in the smell of ripe fruit and chuckled at the animated exchanges among the workers. In this world of heightened senses and connection with nature, I began to enjoy my walk once more. I averaged about 10 to 15 kilometers a day on terrain that was increasingly mountainous. I slept in hostels, convents, and one night on the floor of a restaurant in front of a roaring fire. Some people invited me to coffee, curious to speak with the woman they had seen on the road. I had several cars drive by slowly, their male occupants offering me lifts and following me as I walked. I refused them politely, but firmly, and continued purposefully ahead. These incidents were few, but they scared me. On the whole, however, people were respectful and helpful when I asked. My greatest obstacle was communication. To my surprise, most people I met only spoke Italian. I spoke English, passable French, some Arabic, and a smattering of Spanish. The extent of my Italian was limited to what I had learned from popular television shows. Comments like ciao, grazie, buongiorno. Of course I knew words like spaghetti, lasagna, vino, so I was confident I wouldn't go hungry or thirsty. Whenever I met someone who spoke some English, I asked them how to say basic phrases like, my name is Moni, is there a hostel here? Where is the hostel? How many kilometers to the next town? I am walking to Jerusalem for peace. I wrote down these phrases and practiced them as I walked. So I could order food and ask for directions, basically, but not explain why I was walking. When I could explain, people either smiled or politely changed the conversation. I wanted them to embrace this walk, this noble idea of walking for peace, and felt terribly insecure when they didn't. I realized then the loneliness of this road I was walking and wondered if I had made the right choice. It was my fifth day, and I had stopped at a small cafe in the hilltop town of Nazzano. It had been an especially arduous day emotionally, and my doubts were more debilitating than ever. I sipped my tea at the bar and dejectedly asked the bartender for the nearest hostel. An older gentleman sitting nearby moved closer and introduced himself as Franco. Hablas Espanol? 
he asked. Si, I replied excitedly as if I had spoken Spanish my entire life. What are you doing here? He enunciated in Spanish. I am walking from Rome to Jerusalem for peace, I muttered. Without warning, Franco's eyes began to water and tears started trickling down his cheeks. I stared at him in shock, feeling the flow of my own tears. Please, he sniffed, wiping his face with a handkerchief and leading me to a, by the hand to a table. Let me buy you lunch. You must be tired. You must be thirsty, hungry. I acquiesced without thought, allowing this kind-hearted man to care for me. Franco reached across the table and lightly touched my hands. I think what you are doing is tremendous and so important. The world needs thousands of people like you, following their hearts, trying to make a difference. Maybe some people think what you are doing is crazy, but pay no attention to them. Believe in yourself. That day, Franco gave me the emotional sustenance I couldn't yet give myself, remembering to always look within to fill my emotional needs would be one of the greatest challenges of my inner journey. But for now, I was ready to move on. Alberto called soon after to say that he was ready to join me. We agreed to meet in Rieti. I arrived there a few days later, feeling a sense of accomplishment. I had only walked 120 kilometers in 12 days, but I had done them by myself, in conditions that were quite unlike anything I had experienced before. If I had to, I now knew that I could continue to walk to Jerusalem on my own.